0: to the latest EG Like Sunday Morning, in which I am once again joined by two of EG's finest to go over the week's news. Back for more is Shantae Bahitagay, uh, a London and Office's guru, as well as the wonderfully titled senior writer, Piers Weiner. Uh, how are you both this week?
1: Very well.
2: Very well, thank you.
0: Good, good. Glad to hear it. Full of the are Christmas feeling,
1: spirit? Yeah, are you feeling Christmassy, Jess? You... Getting there, slowly, slowly. Good.
2: I think it feels significantly more Christmassy now, especially walking around London. It's particularly cold now outside. Oh, yes, that,
1: that's the thing for me. I've, I, I've got to wait until the weather changes. And then so having having a bit of frost, actually being able to see the, little, the you know the, the icy mm-hmm. fingers. Yeah, so I played
0: I played football in minus degrees last night with frost on the pitch. So that that definitely got me in the Christmas spirit. <laughs> that, that's going too far. That's, I, <laughs> I want to look at it. I don't want to have to go into it. Yeah,
2: exactly. <laughs> I
0: haven't quite thawed out yet, uh, but uh, we'll get there hopefully. Um, so uh, the week's news, Shantae. Uh, I feel that I should should be the one telling you about this, but uh, I'm going to ask you to tell me. But tell me more about the great big law firm office hunt.
2: Yes, yeah, London law firm as well. It's been a very interesting time for firms moving into sat around the capital at the moment. And I think we all know that there's there's always another firm on the list. There's always another name being thrown around as to, you know, who's moving and who's taking expansion options or, you know, all of, all those sorts of things. And actually there's data that we've seen now to sort of back this thesis up which is really interesting so um night frank shared with us exclusively some research that they collected which shows that there's 1.3 million square foot of office requirements out um, within the sector in london at the moment so um this is particularly significant i suppose at the moment because it comes off the back of a record year where there was 1.5 million square foot of office space that's been taken up um, by law firms. And so that's, yeah, that's an all-time high. So I think the year before it was uh, 1.2 million square foot in, uh, in 2021. So it's, it's steadily rising. And, um, and at the moment, I think where there's been so much turbulence in uh, in the market over the last <laughs> few months in particular, um, we've really seen the leasing market bolstered by a lot of the bigger transactions that have been taking place. And those are um often law firms
0: mm-hmm.
2: by virtue of the the size of the transactions that are taking place so thinking about things like Clifford Chance's 321,000 square foot at uh GPs to Alderman, Aldermanbury Square and then Adelshaw Goddard as well who are at uh 41 Lothbury, and theirs is about 114,000 square foot so those sorts of significant deals have really kind of bolstered the London leasing market and that doesn't look to be slowing down anytime soon so we've seen another um good few names sort of floated around with active requirements in the market. So, um, Maya Brown, they're looking for 100,000 square foot. Then we've got uh, King and Spaulding, who are looking for 40,000 square foot. And then right down to Finnegan, who are looking at 12,000 square foot. So, the requirements are ranging, but they're there. um, And law firms are very active at the moment. And really, I think the reason why they're moving now and, and what we're seeing for the hub um, for law firms at the moment. There's there's a lot of reasons and they're all interlocking factors and all things that we've all heard um, quite frequently for why people are looking to move. Um, but better space with better amenities, that's really important for them at the moment. That's sort of top of the agenda along with ESG. Um, so they want buildings with good sustainability credentials. And then also, I suppose, proximity to clients. So making sure that they're nearer to wherever their client base is. So particularly for the handful of sort of smaller firms that I'm sure you'll know you'll this, that are in the West End, um, they're sort of based near where their clients are, their financial, mm. they want to be in the city, um, they want to be around bank, they want to be in that area. So the city is still sort of the hub and the core, because that's where 94% of transactions um, in the third quarter took place. So it's still quite clearly the city that's the hub. Um, but what's interesting is that we're seeing the ones who have kind of branched out and gone to different areas, migrating back to the city at the moment. So, yeah, it will be exciting in the next you know, few months to see where they're looking to take space. And I thought what was particularly interesting in the conversations that I had was talking about how far ahead law firms are having to look for their space. Mm-hmm. Because obviously, with everybody looking in the city, there's a limited supply there's high demand we're seeing that you know the pipeline is slowly slowly getting smaller um and especially in the short term it's really difficult and there is a lot of competition um especially for those larger requirements because there's only limited you know supply so it's interesting to see that slowly the ones who are sort of approaching the end of their leases um they're they're looking way in advance i mean i heard one the other day that was looking six years in advance so we're talking a long time in advance um and I suppose it's common because there's a lot of planning that's involved in those moves for them to start looking, you know, three, four years in advance. Mm. But because of the supply issues, we're looking quite far ahead. Um, so it's interesting. And they're also sort of seeming to be more flexible is the general vibe that we're getting. That it's kind of, you know, more about prioritising the space than necessarily the postcode or the location. They're quite happy to be flexible and they're willing to pay more for the space that they're going to take is what agents are saying. So um, yeah, it's really interesting. It'll be good to see what happens over the next few months with with where they start to go and what the new big requirements are moving into 2023.
0: Yeah, I think the, the war for talent plays into this as well. They're all competing yeah. over the best and brightest recruits, and they're all trying to impress them with spiffy, shiny, yeah. ESG-friendly offices.
2: Hugely. And when I'm talking to, um, to occupiers who are in the sector, it's interesting because they have specifically said that they get a lot of pressure from both the top down with obviously esg regulations that are coming in and the Mies recommendations but also from their talent specifically they have said that they've interviewed people i've spoken to you know various people at law firms who've said they've interviewed people who've said that it's really important to them that they're at a firm who prioritizes esg so i think it's particularly true of the sector that it's important for them that they they show their awareness um of of their esg in their real estate
0: and uh piers speaking of talent uh we we all know you like an opportunity to talk about michael gove <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, he's he's been uh, making waves again
1: this week he has he has um yeah i mean wait there, there's there's definitely there has to be some sort of link between waves and wind turbines but i can't quite get there uh, <laughs> this early on a sunday morning um, <laughs> yeah this is this has been the the ongoing slightly limping progress now of the levelling up bill and Mm. the latest double whammy of u-turns performed by the government or um but i mean possibly even triple whammy if you then take the um the coal mine uh decision into that as well i don't know what that what that is of u-turns just sort of a wiggle (laughs) i guess i guess it's a wiggle when it does that um but yeah this, this so the chicane chicane of the- oh good good <laughs> yes the chicane um, <laughs> but this is this is the the thing that's that that stalled the leveling up bill was this huge disagreement over housing and planning policy mm. um which uh depending on how you count the numbers um either the the rebels who were saying they didn't want mandatory housing targets either had around 60 or nearly a hundred or more than a hundred people backing them it was building up to quite a sizable uh, majority thumping uh rebellion um Labour had said hey look we've got the numbers we don't mind we'll help you out we'll vote with the government guys um <laughs> which was simultaneously um political game playing obviously but also because the, there is this split there is this divide and it's very easy to paint the um, Theresa Villiers-led rebels on these housing policies um, as nimbies, but it's, it's a bit more complicated than that. So Theresa Villiers, former Environment Secretary, the point that she was sticking on was this idea of top-down mandatory housing targets, and then forcing local authorities to have um, land earmarked for supply for that development, five years' worth of land. Um, and all of this coming down from the top. And that was the bit that a lot of these MPs, Conservative MPs, largely from the sort of leafy green Southern southern constituencies, the sort of blue wall types, um, but not entirely, um, that they started to feel a little bit nervous about. And this, this rebellion started to grow and grow and grow. And that was why the levelling up bill was then stalled in its passage through parliament, um, at which point, it grew even more it was the the pause button had been pressed and and everybody went oh yeah okay yeah I'll rebel against that as well Um, and it started to build simultaneously there was another rebellion um, almost on the other side of the issue which was about the de facto ban on wind farms that had been introduced by David Cameron back in 2015 Um, and it's, it's a bit of a trick it's not an absolute outright ban but it basically says you can only build wind farms if Everybody in a local area says specifically we want a wind farm in this particular mm. place, and it's written into the local plan. It's all but so it basically makes it next to impossible for anything to, to happen onshore wind farms. Um and again, a growing rebellion, former leveling up secretary this time, briefly, Simon Clark, um, leveling up secretary for I think 46 days, maybe less. Somewhere the length of, the, the, sort of the, the average lifespan of a lettuce, you know, you know, that sort of time period. <laughs> um the. And he he led it, and there was backing from Boris Johnson, and backing from Liz Truss, remember her, um, backing <laughs> from uh, Alok Sharma, backing from like a whole raft of of ministers, and again growing backing. And in the context of all this, th- th- and that rebellion sought to overthrow that um, that ban to basically make it easier for wind onshore wind farms to be built. Um, so you've got this, this interesting tension that's sort of showing the uneasy coalition of the Conservative Party mm. um, and their governing majority at the moment. Um, and in the middle of all of that, Mr Gove had to try and broker a compromise. And the people that I was speaking to were saying, well, on the housing issue, the the whispers were, he's he's going to do something. There is going to be a compromise. But it's not going to go as far as him saying, we'll get rid of mandatory housing targets. I mean, he's bound to keep those, right? He's bound to keep the the five... And in the end, the, those same people said, that's not. it's not a compromise. What well, he eventually came up with isn't a compromise, it's a capitulation. He essentially said yes to almost all of their demands, which has outraged everybody who is on the other side of that argument. Um, it, I mean the the BPF's response. When you think the BPF is usually quite studied and measured in their responses to things, uh, Melanie Leach is obviously has opinions about things, but it, it's always quite considered. She tries to see the the best in things. Um, and her response to this particular move was that it beggars belief. Um, it was and was the other the, the other comment was that it's the ver- the very opposite of levelling up, which is I'm pretty damning. A comment from the British Property Federation on the Leveling Up Bill is now that it is the very opposite of Leveling Up. Um, meanwhile, on the um, on the wind farms issue, um, again a, a a complete folding. There's, there's a slight compromise there. That's slightly less of a capitulation in that it's still going to be really quite difficult to put an onshore wind farm anywhere. But um, at least it probably won't have to be. Um, Designated in a in a local plan in advance, so it, it's it makes it less of a less of a ban and more just really difficult. And um, anyway, the 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 rebellion on that one, uh, or rather the counter rebellion, counter revolutionaries, read by um, John Hayes MP, who's basically been against wind farms since birth, I think. Um, he said that he was actually quite pleased with the compromise, which shows you just how difficult it's still going to be to put a wind farm anywhere. Yeah and then like so that was that was what was that that was the housing u-turn was on monday night then the wind farm u-turn was on tuesday night and then i think on wednesday we had this sudden announcement that this coal plant um that's uh, in cumbria which has kind of been kicked into the long grass time and time again because every time it cycles back up to the top of the minister's pile it's a really embarrassing time like <laughs> pop 26 cop 27 um but we're saying hey we're all green everybody stop taking coal out of the ground because it's really bad for you and suddenly (laughs) you have gove again saying oh no no we're we're, we're going to give that the green light so there's going to be for the first time in 30 years there is a new coal mine opening in the uk which you know has a lot of supporters but a lot of people are looking at it and saying what is this government's environmental policy it's almost impossible to to comprehend but it's again a, a, a sign of the increasingly odd compromises and decisions that this government is having to make mm. even though they've got a massive majority mm. um, that uh, the the, um, the the coal plant decision um, that we're now in a bizarre situation where you have the conservative government backing the opening of a coal mine, and <laughs> Labour saying that when they get into power, they will close it. <laughs> Madness. I mean, That's it's... the world we live in. And uh, <laughs> compromise and
0: capitulation—that that was one of Jane Austen's unpublished novels, wasn't it?
1: Yes, one of her better unpublished novels, I think. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: um, and uh, and Shantae, uh, tell me uh, what has happened to China's London embassy plans this week.
2: Oh, it was, yeah, it's not looking, it's not looking great. Um, Hmm. uh, Plans was somewhat left in tatters uh, after the London Borough Tower Hamlets voted unanimously against plans um, to redevelop the Royal Mint Court into the new Chinese embassy. So what's the
0: problem? What's the problem?
2: What's the problem? That is a question. That's a good question. So there were a number of problems um, and they became apparent quite early on. Um, It was off to quite a poor start when there were sort of 50 objections uh, made quite early on. So uh, the chair actually committed to adding time for people to to raise those objections. And so they they extended the time to hear from the public. So um, there was sort of a few main concerns that were raised by the committee. And I think the first and foremost was sort of safety and security that came up. Um, And I don't think that issue was sufficiently resolved by the end of it. And then we also had linked to that the depletion and effect that that would have on local police resources. So that was a particular concern to the local residents um, because they said it's quite a high crime area and they were worried about the resources that the police would need to sort of move towards the embassy and that that would be taken away from the local area. And then we also had congestion in the area because apparently, obviously, it's quite central. There's a mm. lot of congestion already, and then harm to heritage sites. So um, the site's actually right next to the Tower of London. So obviously that was the yeah. main concern. Um,
0: As heritage sites go, that's that's pretty
2: exactly. a pretty major one. <laughs> it's a big one. So um, yeah, so they were specifically concerned about that. And so um, I think what was particularly interesting was. Um, the first resident that came to speak, she she raised that there was uh, a request by local residents to have a blast report done by the council. So they were specifically sort of concerned about terror attacks and any um, sort of subsequent problems that would come from that. And this blast report was done, but it was uh, predominantly redacted. So they they couldn't really see any of the results from said report. So it was included in the planning documents. Um, and they could see the summary at the end, which sort of said that it would, you know, it would all be OK and they'd have the sufficient resources. Um, people on the, the the planning officer side and the planning team um, did respond to, to the concerns and said, oh, well, the, the Met Police have seen it and it's, it's all fine. They've given it the go ahead. TfL have had a look and they have they've both seen it. So it's fine. Um, But the fact that nobody on the committee and none of the residents could actually see the contents of said report um, was a big, you know, point of contention. So I think that kind of triggered a lot of the security, you know, and safety worries that came afterwards. Um, And then they had uh, a speaker called uh, Simon Cheng, who's actually the founder of Hong Kongers in Britain, And so he came up and spoke and said that um, he thinks it would be a really big um, invasion on uh, security of those in the community. And that it's a personal invasion of privacy. Um, There were a lot of issues with surveillance, obviously, because Mm. of it being being a really big, significant embassy and what that would mean for local residents. Um, But there were quite there were some quite damning objections uh, that came up, I think is a nice way to put it. It was it was a very emotionally charged meeting and um and I think there wasn't really much resolution in terms of the possible desecration of the local heritage sites either mm. um I think just visually even by it being there, there there was already some harm on on the local area and then all the extra footfall that would be um mm. be coming around there so um yeah it, it it wasn't it wasn't looking great unfortunately but um it 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 was unanimously rejected so um yeah I think I think I, drawing board yeah exactly going forwards it'll be interesting to see um what their plan is for how they're going to move forwards if they're going to admit if they're going to go back to the drawing board and completely redo their plans i don't know because obviously now they're holding onto this real estate and they're going to have to do something with it so it'll be interesting maybe we'll see a sale who knows i think that that's <laughs> unlikely i think they're they're quite keen to try and get something put through so it's just whether they plan to downsize or not because the plans also had i think a lot of people had an issue with the fact that they were also housing the people mm. who Work at the embassy on the site, so that meant that there was also going to be residential housing there. So um, yeah, I think one of the, one of the councillors who spoke, uh, Peter Golds, he said that it, he described it as a compound, just saying how because it is it's, it's huge, um, and the plans all look great, but in reality they were the people were quite concerned that it wasn't going to look like it does in in the pictures. It's not going to be pretty, going to be very busy and very disruptive for local residents.
0: I think my key takeaway is is that the, the Tower of London is, is bang in the centre of a high crime area, which seems a little counterintuitive. But, but maybe the answer is to bring it back into operation. I don't know whether that w- that might help. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Piers, uh, we are deep into December, uh, Christmas is coming, so it seems uh, fitting that, that you had a, a John Lewis story this week.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, but not, not an advert. I haven't seen the John Lewis advert.
0: I just all I keep seeing is the the little bear that that's the one that seems to dominate this Christmas. Oh
1: yes, yeah, I've seen that one. It's I've seen they're all tear jerkers. I'll just sit there and sob. But this this isn't a tearjerker, This isn't a sad John Lewis story. This is this is a rather cheery one. Um, this is their uh their JV with Aberdeen. Um, and I enjoy the fact that we use JV in the headline as opposed to joint venture. So also getting rid of all of the all of the extraneous letters. And JL <laughs> presumably we we, we go with <laughs> JL, JL and just <laughs> end up sounding like King Charles having a coughing fit. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's a it's a five hundred million pound joint venture, BTR joint venture, and this is part of John Lewis's plan to maximise the value and the development potential of its of its real estate. Um, and it's it's the start of this. So they're, they're, the the bigger plan is that they want um, ten thousand homes out of out of their portfolio, which is seems like a, a pretty big amount. But then you look at this, and this is based on three sites, um, two in London, so they're in uh, Bromley and West Ealing, and then one in Reading, so not that far out. Um, the the two the, the Bromley and uh, West Ealing are, are both Waitrose shops and uh, the one in uh Reading is a um an old John Lewis warehouse. And on those sites they're gonna be able to develop a thousand BTR homes, which is pretty massive. And as mm. they said, rather rather sort of
2: <laughs> with
1: with beaming with pride, they said, you know that's that's ten percent of our target. Done. Tick. Mm. Um and yeah, it's it's um it's 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 pretty good news. so they're they're still looking for other people to deliver the rest of this and other sites to bring forward. So this is very much the start of that. but um it's 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 a pretty it's a pretty big venture, and pretty big news. um and it's going to be you know they're going to be developing it in uh, over the next couple of years. So ten thousand oh. homes in a decade, and it looks like they're actually going to achieve it, which is yeah, pretty good going.
0: Ah, uh, maybe someone should put them in charge.
1: Uh...
0: <laughs> <So> <laughs> um, you know, that's uh...
1: that's leveling up.
0: that's yeah levelling up the John Lewis way um okay so shall we round up the rest of the week's news with a very quick quiz let's
1: Let's uh
0: Shantae would you like to go first or second this week
2: I will go first please
0: go first okay so which dessert chain plans to double its number (laughs) of venues
1: oh I love this story I wish I'd gone
0: first sorry (laughs) Uh, I think I think I think I heard Shantae say say the right word under Piers' is moaning about uh, not being given this question. Could, could you just repeat that answer for us? Shanta?
2: Of course, creams.
0: It is creams. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, are you a, a fan
1: of dessert venues, Piers? I, I don't get to go to them. I understand they <laughs> exist. I'm sure they're lovely places that people who don't have to uh, watch their weight quite so keenly as me. <laughs> Uh, visit frequently but no okay. sadly I don't but maybe I'm if there sure... are more of them it'll be harder for me to avoid them
0: and uh, I'm, I'm sure you'll find this question equally exciting Pierce <laughs> which city is British land targeting for expansion of its burgeoning life sciences
1: portfolio this is Cambridge it is indeed Cambridge it's not as exciting I mean that's not as exciting <laughs> as expanding dessert stores, is it? <laughs> I mean everybody loves life sciences but come on <laughs>
0: Yeah. I, I i i don't know whether maybe if you plot it on a map life sciences expansion and and desert chain openings there might be correlation you never know I think there's some there's
1: somewhere in the middle of that venn diagram <laughs> the, the proof is in the pudding i mean <laughs> very good very good okay missing words
0: uh lend lease yeah. blanks scope one and scope two emissions lend lease blanks scope one and scope two emissions
2: was it halves?
0: It is halves. And I think actually from the story, they just they, they they more than halved their scope one and scope two emissions, which is very impressive. Okay, Piers. Blank's maul's arm, which is quite hard to say. Blank's Maul's arm shakes up the F and B market.
1: <laughs> I just, like, like an attack dog latching onto somebody and mauling their arm, which I don't think is quite what that means, is it? Um <laughs> Mm. oh is this is this the the Inca 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 this is this is Ikea it IKEA, is Ikea's it is. walls on yeah there you go
0: I've I've shared the tasty treats around so are, are you, are you more go. happy now
1: I am happy because I, I reckon I'd be able to squeeze uh, meatballs into my diet without anybody uh, raising an <laughs> eyebrow uh, this is indeed uh, Ikea's sister company Inca
0: Centres uh, with its uh, sustainable dining concept which I believe uh, impressed uh, Pui at uh, uh, OK. 2-2. Two, two. Impressive performance. We're on to the diary questions. So, Shante.
2: Yes.
0: The chain store selling which modern-day Christmas institution has taken warehouse space in Milton Keynes?
2: Ah, uh, isn't this Elf on the Shelf?
0: It is Elf on the Shelf. It is Elf on the Shelf. But Piers' head is in his hands at the <laughs> mention of Elf on the Shelf. Is this a phenomenon that has reached your household, Piers?
1: No, thankfully not yet. <laughs> Not
0: yet. <laughs> are you living in fear of the year it, it, it happens?
1: I am. I mean, we used to do stuff. I've got to keep my voice down because my kids are somewhere in, in nearby. Um, but we we used to do things with with like with their other toys and arrange these little tableau. And then it just got too much. It was it was like the the, the expectation got too high. What are they doing today? Yeah. Are, are my toy dinosaurs raiding the fridge again like, no of course they're not because the last time we had to keep the fridge open uh, everything went went gooey and disgusting um so no i i think we've we've managed to to keep the elf away okay but well all of their friends have them so whatever it's you do harder and harder no, it
2: was whatever such, you do i really didn't I, I wasn't i didn't come from an elf on the shelf family so this was like it only really hit me when i <laughs> uh, my Previous job, we actually had um, we had an office elf on the shelf. And <laughs> when it kind of came into play, that I was like, wow, okay. And then I, yeah, it's a huge thing. It's really cool.
1: Is that? Do you think that's? Is that a suggestion for E. G. Should we get one?
2: I think we should get one. Who's you're you going to be responsible for it, Piers <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm
1: almost never in the office. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a very
0: rarely moved elf. Very either dusty. Piers or I, I'm in charge of it. I think. Ah. I think this, this one's falling on you, Shanto. Fine. You're always there. <laughs> get, get Tim to do it. He'll love it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> he
0: will. He will absolutely love it. Uh, okay. Right. Piers, this is to, to salvage a draw from what has been a phenomenal quiz performance. Do you know the competition winning name of the robot dog that is helping construction work on a cargo tunnel at Heathrow Airport?
1: Uh, this I, I remember this story um, because it's awesome um hang on it's yeah it's 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 dave it's dave it's
0: it dave look at that he's pulled it out three three the
1: marvelous is that everyone's is that getting some,
0: far too good at the quiz
1: is that some sort of weird sort of inverted um howl reference uh
0: that would be that would be a good explanation for it yeah, what are you would, doing it, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, So i mean it, it was brave of them it was brave of them to throw it open to a competition. Um, in dog the light a of, dog face exactly but uh, they've <laughs> arrived at a pretty sensible dave which is you know which works i think right marvelous robot dogs the future of construction <laughs> uh and uh the future of eg like sunday morning will be this time next week who knows who will be joining me for what i suspect will be the last regularly scheduled eg like sunday morning of 2022 uh, but uh, yeah, we'll be back next week. Thank you, Piers. Uh, thank you, Shante. And those of you at home have been listening to EG like, Sunday Morning.